0: Greetings from St Bride's Church Fleet Street here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're tuning in to this podcast. St Bride's is one of the most famous and historic churches in London. Behind me, just over that wall, you can still see the remains of a Roman pavement dating back to around 180 AD and there's been a church on this site since the 6th century. So it's a privilege for us to be keeping alive that tradition and the message of Christ's love for all here today. Do please leave a comment or a like and tell us where you're listening from. It's always a great pleasure to hear from you. And if you would like to donate to help support these online services, you'll find details in the accompanying text. And now may the light and peace of Christ be with us all as our worship Begins. Jesus said, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. It is a great delight to welcome you to St Brides to our Choral Eucharist on this, the 18th Sunday after Trinity. Wherever you are in the world, and however you are listening to us, we hope that you will feel that you are very much part of the St Brides family. We begin with our opening prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sins, mindful of our failure to respond to the needs of the poor our failure to be worthy stewards of the earth's bounty, and our squandering of its natural resources. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us your gift of faith, that, forsaking what lies behind and reaching out to that which is before, we may run the way of your commandments and win the crown of everlasting joy, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.
1: A reading from the book Genesis. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, and to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother, and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: reading from the letter to the Hebrews. In many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature upholding the universe by his word of power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou carest for him? Thou didst make him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one origin, That is why he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Some Pharisees came, and in order to test Jesus, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. But Jesus said to them, For your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
0: In the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. I was once responsible for putting together a week-long course for a group of students training for Anglican Ministry on the theme of marriage and human relationships. And I was somewhat taken aback when, having heard that this was going to take place on the programme, one of the aforementioned students stormed up to me, objecting that such a course was even on offer. You shouldn't be running courses about marriage, he complained bitterly people should just go and read their Bibles. If only people would stick to the biblical model of marriage, then there wouldn't be a problem." At which point, a colleague of mine, who happened to be standing at my elbow, chipped in and replied to the student, "'The biblical model of marriage, "'presumably you mean polygamy. "'I think you'll find it's illegal.'" The student paused, went very red in the face, opened his mouth to say something, changed his mind and then stomped off with the distinct air of a man who has been seriously wrong-footed. It was not the response that he was expecting at all. But of course, my colleague had deftly drawn attention to the fact, a fact that is frequently overlooked, especially by those who want to present an oversimplified uh, version of the Christian faith, Namely, that the Bible depicts marriage and married relationships in a whole range of different ways. If you look at the stories of the Old Testament patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the first kings of Israel, David and Solomon, their domestic lives were a jumble of multiple wives, concubines, and slave girls giving birth to their children. The law of Moses permitted divorce. Yet, as we heard in our reading from St. Mark's Gospel, Jesus apparently ruled it out altogether. Although, in St. Matthew's version of that same passage, Jesus is quoted as permitting divorce in a particular circumstance. St. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, is of the view that in cases where a Christian is married to a non-Christian— and the non-Christian wishes to separate from his or her spouse, then the couple are not bound to each other. Although, more generally, since Paul was convinced that the advent of the Second Coming was imminent, Paul encouraged people not to marry at all. In other words, far from giving a simple, clear and straightforward account of what marriage is, or indeed where we are to draw the boundaries of legitimate sexual relationships, the Bible, in fact, has a whole host of different things to say about marriage and family life, some of them apparently contradictory. It all depends on which biblical texts you consult, which questions you ask of them and which answers you are wanting to find. I do find it interesting, though, that whoever was responsible for putting together the set readings for this Sunday in our lectionary chose to include alongside our gospel reading the passage we heard earlier from the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, which tells of, of the origin of Adam and Eve. Because it seems to me that that is a passage that does give us some useful tools to think with when reflecting on the whole area of human relationships. And there are two things that I would perhaps single out. The first is the whole idea of companionship. As God declares in our passage from Genesis, back at the dawn of time, having created the first human being, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. In other words, we are creatures who are fundamentally designed for human relationship, whatever form that relationship might take. Secondly, it's always struck me as very interesting that in Genesis 2, the first man to be created by God is formed from the dust of the earth, which, if you think about it, is a singularly unpromising material. You cannot get much lower than dust. So, how remarkable it is that we human beings who, in symbolic terms at least, are made of dust, should be transformed by the wonder of God's love into the extraordinary and wonderful creatures that we are, capable of acts of courage and kindness and generosity and nobility, capable of producing great works of art and profound works of literature and sublime pieces of music which have the power to move and to inspire. We are creatures who are capable of loving and of being loved. The fact that dust should be capable of all that really is truly remarkable. But because we are made of dust, the dust of the earth, made of the most base of materials, we are also very easily led astray. Our relationships can prove to be far more fragile than we realise. A song by Joni Mitchell features the line... I have seen some hot, hot blazes come down to smoke and ash, which is why it is so very important that we treasure and honour and protect the relationships that we have and that those relationships are based on truth. The terrible irony is that sometimes the people to whom we are closest are the very people we take most easily for granted. So much so that we may even find ourselves treating them badly or inconsiderately or even unkindly. Going back to that course on marriage that I was organising all those years ago, I can remember a very interesting discussion taking place at some stage within it about what, if anything, was distinctive about specifically Christian marriage it was slightly alarming for me to hear the rather naive assumption, voiced particularly by some of the younger unmarried candidates, that Christian marriage must, by definition, be successful. I suspect most of us here today can think of at least one couple known to us who were, by all accounts, good church-going Christians whose marriages have come adrift. Christians can be every bit as frail and as fallen as everyone else. Indeed, the very expectation that Christian marriage is always by definition going to be successful can, if we're not careful, prove to be burdensome and guilt-inducing itself. If a distinctive difference is to be found, Perhaps it is rather in the simple but paradoxical fact that those of us who strive to follow Christ are possibly more aware of our sheer fallenness and so recognise our need of God's help in strengthening and supporting our relationships and in shaping our own conduct towards those with whom we are close. Also, on the positive side, one of the truths that is celebrated in our marriage service is the recognition that marriage is not only a gift of God in creation, but also, very importantly, a means of his grace. Or, to put it another way, a marriage that is sealed by the love of God will always be more than the sum of the two people within it. Sometimes in the literal sense, when the relationship between a couple becomes also a relationship of parenthood. But even when that is not the case, the love between two people, that is blessed and honoured by God, has the power not only to flow outwards, but to touch and to transform the lives of others. One of the first books on Christian spirituality that I ever purchased was a book published in 1971 by the Methodist, Neville Ward. In it, he makes some very wise observations about Christian family life that echo much of what I've been saying this morning, particularly the assumption that real Christian family life ought to be what he caricatures as a realm of frictionless loving and the unrealistic or inappropriately high expectations that can go with that. But he has some positive things to say as well. Let me read you a short extract. Neville Ward wrote this. Family happiness is always liable to founder on the hidden rocks and reefs of the unconscious life of its members. Christian acceptance of this involves the abandonment of all the extravagant expectations set up by the assumption that Christian family life ought to be a realm of frictionless loving. This in turn means that there will be less surprise and resentment and guilt when trouble comes and more chance of success in straightening things out. There is generally some straightening out to be done, human beings being what they are, creatures who do not, as a rule, do much harm except to those within close range and, most cruelly, to those within closest range brother, sister, parent, child, wife, husband, we all live hurt and hurting lives. But our lives are also the kind that are shaken periodically by beauty and other intensity of happiness. And again and again, we are saved by love. The presence of love in family life is often unacknowledged, even unrecognised, because its nature is so much more akin to the air that we breathe than to thoughts we articulate. The presence of love in family life is often unacknowledged, even unrecognised, because its nature is so much more akin to the air we breathe than to thoughts we articulate. Life-giving relationships, whatever form they take, are always gifts from God and should be honoured and treasured as such, whether we live with our families or in community or alone. And it is when we are on familiar home territory that we must remain most aware of this, frail creatures that we are. As a rather beautiful little prayer from New Zealand puts it, Gentle God, grant that at home, where we are most truly ourselves, where we are known at our best and our worst, we may learn to forgive and to be forgiven. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray.
1: Almighty God, creator of all things, we ask that you hear the prayers of your children. Grant your church the grace to witness our Saviour's teachings through love and compassion in action in all its dealings. Empower your ministers, your bishops, priests and deacons and all who profess the faith of Christ to proclaim your glory in this world and in the kingdom to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless and protect all children and all who work with children and support families. Bless all loving relationships and comfort those who are separated from those who they love. Heal the damage caused by war and conflict, the distress of being displaced from homes communities and countries. Comfort all who have suffered loss through fightings or tragedy, and support all who work for peace in our lands, in our communities and within family units. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our families and for this family of St Brides. Protect and guide us all as we look to you each day in faith for our needs. Strengthen our love as we gather together, united in our worship and however far apart we might be physically. Bind us in your love and the fellowship of our common purpose. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless all who suffer in sickness of body, mind or spirit. All who wait for treatment. All who go through a healing, all who will carry the scars of their encounters with life. Bless all who begin the journey of creating new families, expectant mothers and fathers, midwives, paediatricians, and all the support network fill their lives with hope, with joy, and with love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We give thanks for the lives of all who we have loved but see no more. For mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, friends, colleagues and partners. All children of our Heavenly Father, held in our memories, in our hearts, and now in the care and protection of the same Heavenly Family. Grant us, each one of your children, we pray, a share with them, in your eternal kingdom. Merciful Father, accept Accept these these prayers prayers for the the sake sake of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and we share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. Let us pray. It is indeed right, it is our duty and our joy at all times and in all places to give you thanks and praise holy father heavenly king almighty and eternal god through jesus christ your son our lord and now we give you thanks because you make us stewards of your creation to praise you day by day for the marvels of your wisdom and power Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and singing. in the unity of the holy spirit with all who stand before you in earth and heaven we worship you father almighty in songs of everlasting praise blessing and honor and glory and power be yours forever and ever amen let us pray with confidence as our savior has taught us our father who art in heaven with thanksgiving. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us let us pray we praise and thank you O christ for this sacred feast for here we receive you here the memory of your passion is renewed here our minds are filled with grace and here a pledge of future glory is given when we shall feast at that table where you reign with all your saints forever amen